0: First Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this is the next to the last sermon in the uh, marriage, uh, family series rather, and excited to uh, uh, talk to you a bit and to be intensely practical today. Two weeks from today, Lord William will begin a new series, a summer book series through uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so we're excited to uh, jump for the summer and give you some study tools and things to help you uh, walk through that. When you preach a sermon that is drawn out of a letter, like First Peter, it is critical that you establish the context, of of the the space in here that is about marriage here we find seven verses about marriage uh, but there is an entire letter and so the question is what is peter talking about in an entire letter peter writes this letter to suffering christians who are scattered throughout asia minor Uh, and the key reality is that they're hurting Uh, They're suffering for a variety of reasons, but suffering is the theme and how to respond to it, how to live in light of it. And so let's look at his answer because unless we understand this, we will not understand the space in which he addresses marriage. His answer is uh, of how to live and how to be focused when life isn't good is to live both in the here and with a thought and a look to the hereafter. And that's what he uh, uh, puts forward throughout the entire letter. He focuses on what Jesus has done for them already and what this means then for the future. He talks about and uses the word inheritance more than once. He says there is an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. In other words, life may not be good now, but if you can only see what life is like there, you can get through life here. He references a salvation that is already but not yet. He says, yes, you've been saved, but that your salvation will be fully revealed in eternity. It's as if someone has inherited the Biltmore house. And uh, they inherit that massive estate, the Biltmore house itself. But they have relegated themselves to living only in the basement. They're in the basement enjoying the grandness of it. The basement in the Biltmore house, after all, is larger than probably any home here. But it's the basement. And the person has yet to go upstairs to the grand ballroom or have a meal in the massive dining room or sit in that rotunda on a winter morning with a hot cup of coffee when the sun is coming in and enjoy the sun. Uh, the person who's inherited the Biltmore has yet to walk along its many trails and view the foliage in all of its seasons, but rather that person is living in the basement of the Grand Biltmore. Many times uh, we come to Christian life and we are basement living Christians and Peter says no, there's life beyond the basement. And in the middle of this, he talks about marriage. And even marriage in the way he describes it isn't easy. It is an unbelieving husband married to a believing wife. That's his context for talking of marriage. Uh, While there is much in what Peter says that will address husband-wife relationships in the arena of submission, I jumped into that two weeks ago, and if you want to go back and look into that deeper dive I took, uh, feel free to do so. What I want to do uh, today, rather than to repeat that, is to look at marriage in the context of suffering Because some of you this morning are suffering in your marriage. Your relationship is less than ideal. You're afraid your husband is cheating on you, or perhaps you know he is. You're concerned about what your wife constantly pulls up on Facebook and other forms of social media. And in the evening when you finally gather to sit uh, after a long day, there's very little conversation between the two of you and who knows what is happening between her and them and you and whatever it is you're engaging. You're lonely in your own home with your own spouse and you wonder how much more you can take. If that is you, you join millions of other couples who've been through desert times in their marriage. You are not alone. Marriage is not easy. It is hard work. It begins on a light note, but at different points throughout, there are some heavy, deep, and dark notes. Peter says there is hope. And hope, I would say to you, is the word you must cling to. If you focus entirely on your present circumstances, you'll drown. But if you somehow can look across the cold English channel of your marriage and see on the other side a delicious evening meal and some hot tea, and some great company, then you can get through this time and swim this channel, and we'll do it with you. So let's look at God's word as it tells us what to do. Number one, define the when. Define the when. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husband's, so that even if some do not obey the word, some husbands do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, what is countercultural is that women had come to faith in that day apart from their husbands, this was not at all accepted in the Greek or Roman world. As a matter of fact, Plutarch, who was a Greek philosopher who lived during, Paul's, uh, during Jesus' time, wrote that women were only allowed to worship the gods of their husbands, So for a woman to be able to profess faith in Jesus Christ apart from her husband was countercultural. Not only was that countercultural, it was countercultural how Jesus treated women, the position to which he raised them. Don't miss the play on words. So that even if some, if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. That's a play on words. They don't obey the word, the word of the gospel, but somehow they're one to Christ with no words being spoken by their believing spouse. So, what is the win? The win is the husband's salvation. That's what is clearly defined as the win here. It is the salvation of the husband. But you may sit in here and say, Jerry, I and my wife or my husband, we're both believers. What is the win for us? The win is one another's holiness. When you come to marriage as husband and wife, you don't do so on a heavenly level, only because you are goo-goo and gaga for one another. That's not it. Now, that's wonderful, and when I do premarital counseling, the first session uh, that encompasses two chapters of the book we cover deals with why do you want to marry this person, and they've listed it all out, and I'll throw them a little curveball, and I'll say, all right, look at one another, and rather than saying he is or she is, say you are and you are, and inevitably there are tears, and and it feels very hallmarkish in my office, And this couple just can't imagine life without one another. And they're just so in love at that point, and life is wonderful. It needs that at the beginning, amen? If there's not a spark, there ain't no fire. And if there's not a spark and there ain't no fire, then it's going to burn out pretty quickly. So I'm assessing, is there a spark? And has it built a fire? And is there enough love to keep the the, the flames going? That's necessary. But it's not everything. Uh, the win eventually is, and even then, is one another's holiness. I will say to a couple God has brought the two of you together because together, what you can do and who you can be is not what it would be if you were apart. There is something you can do together and someone you can be together that if you, the two of you, never became one, that would not emerge. God is up to something grand, and it's heavenly, and it's holy, and it's great. And so the win is one another's holiness. So he says, when they see you're respectful and pure conduct. Respectful toward whom? Your husband? No, that's implied. Toward God. In other words, when an unbelieving husband married to a believing wife watches that believing wife respect and revere God above all, he can't take his eyes off that. It works both ways. When an unbelieving wife watches an unbelieving, or watches a believing husband fear and respect God, it, it's hard for her to get her eyes off that. Did I say something to you this morning. You will never lead anybody to Jesus by becoming like them. You can't. I know we're in a culture that, it, that tries to theologize everything and make everything acceptable. If you, if you want to do it, let's find a verse that says you can and let's find a verse that says it's okay or let's twist this and put this together and put that together and make it okay. But hear me, you will not win somebody to Jesus by becoming who they are apart from Jesus. Well, Why would they want to hang out with you? Why would they want what you have when what you have is what they already have? You will win them to Jesus by being different from them. And notice that's exactly what Peter sets forth here. So I would say, number one, find the win. Number two, remember who's keeping score. Remember who's keeping store, score. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Now in Peter's day, women were defined as to their social status by what they wore. And so if you wanted to know about a a, a man's social status, it was what he did or what he owned. If you wanted to know about a woman's social status, it was what she wore. It was how much jewelry she had on, what kind of clothes, and how ornate were they. Uh, uh, Was she able? uh, You know, last time I checked, you can't braid your own hair. So was she able to pay somebody to braid her hair? Was she able to do all of those things? And when a woman walked out into public, that's how she was known. And what Peter is saying is that when you come uh, to God by faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to make some choices, and those choices then have to do with your adorning. It's that word adorning that's incredibly important here because it's a word that literally, I'll say it in the Greek, which I seldom do, cosmos, world. It's where we get our word world. You could almost, it would be fudging the Greek rules a bit, but you could almost take this and say, don't let your world be. Don't let your world be external appearances. Don't let your world be your physical appearance. Well, certainly when, first, when Peter wrote this letter, uh, Facebook did not exist Twitter wasn't a thing. Instagram wasn't around. But we all know that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have exacerbated the undue focus on physical appearance, hasn't it? Because those things now exist, and because you can take a phone and flip it around and take your picture and pooch out your lips and... uh, Put things all distorted in different ways. And, and if you don't like how you look, there are apps now that just make you look better all of a sudden. I was getting my hair cut recently, and Chris was cutting my hair. And, 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 and when, he, when he got done, like, I really think I should get a discount at this point. There's not much to work with. But when he got done, he, he, he had me sit in the chair, and he has a new, a new mirror behind him. And he said, and a mirror in front, and he said, how does it look in the back? I said, why do I have to see my bald spot? Like, what are you doing to me? I don't want to see that. I never see that. I don't even know it exists. Why? Because I never look at it. But all of a sudden now you have the capacity to take your picture and to distort your picture and to make yourself look this way and that way. And, and women uh, and men have become, have become consumed with physical appearance because now there's a way to get that out there. Peter says, don't let your adorning be that outward person, but let it be the inner, inward person. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, this is in light of, of God sending Samuel out to choose a king for Israel. He had looked at a lineup of men, all uh, 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 sons of Jesse, and, and they were like, you know, big men of stature. Right? So you've got big, you know, muscular dudes, and there they go. And he looks at all of them, and no, 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 no. Uh, Jesse, you got any more kids? Yeah, I got a little boy. And he's even described as just a little boy. He's out in the, in the field watching sheep. Bring him in. Let's get him. Here in comes this teenager. He's not built. You know, he's not ripped. He's not all the things that men want to be. And God says, that's it. He's the one. His name's David. David becomes the king, 1 Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature. He's a short, ruddy little dude. Don't look at, don't look at that. Because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Remember who's keeping score. It's God. It matters not what you think about your neighbor's marriage. I guarantee you that what you know about it isn't near as good as what it is. It's much better than what it really is. We have a tendency to look at others' marriages and go, Oh, their lives just seem so perfect. But they aren't. The key phrase in Peter's words is in God's sight. A gentle and quiet spirit in God's sight is very precious. More precious than the gold necklace around your neck or the braided hair or the clothes. Please hear me. You will either live in God's sight or someone else's sight. You will either live in God's sight or someone else's sight. There's a thing about Sarah calling Abraham Lord and she obeyed him. We should have more time to get into that. But let me just say quickly that that reference is when God told them that they were going to have a baby and Sarah laughed. And she still called him Lord even though she thought he was ridiculous. It just means there was a respect even when things weren't good. Even when things didn't make sense. And then third, our term to understand one another, I probably should have kept going with this theme uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a sports analogy, which I never do because I've never played a sport in my life, but I probably should have kept going and saying just know your teammate. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, know your wife. Husbands, know your wife. Honor your wife or forfeit your prayer life. That's what Peter says. He doesn't mince words. Do you know what I wonder, men? How many of us have prayed prayers? that went no further than the nine-foot ceiling in our bedroom because that day we dishonored our wives. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, neither do I. But it's God's word. You cannot pray for your neighbor and mistreat your wife. You can't do it. In this room, and I know this just because of the text I receive every week, there are some men who need to do some serious repentance over words said and actions taken. Peter couldn't be clearer here, could he? Know your wife. Live with her in an understanding way or forfeit your prayer life. This week, if you're in a life group, you'll do a pretty meaningful exercise. If you're not, I challenge you, and I use the word challenge on purpose to grab the lesson and to take this with you because the life group lesson addresses the five intimacies that exist in marriage. And this is completely in-house. So just from years of counseling, I developed an intimacy assessment. Never done it before. I've thought about it for the last six months or so of, is there a way that you could answer a few questions and get at how close you really are with your husband or your wife? Now, in our culture, when we think of intimacy, we almost always culturally think sexual intimacy. But there are five kinds of intimacy uh, that uh, I cover here. Spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, and social intimacy. Spiritual intimacy is, uh, here's one of the questions my spouse or one of the assessments, my spouse and I pray together. That builds spiritual intimacy. My spouse and I talk about Sunday worship together. You leave church, perhaps talking about, what did you get from that? My spouse knows my deepest spiritual struggles. Wow. Does she, men? My spouse and I attend life group together. Emotional or physical intimacy my spouse and I regularly, regularly show affection to one another, hugs and kisses. Mom's dad's, if you have little kids in the house, you should gross them out on a regular <laughs> schedule. Why? Because they hate to see you hug and kiss. But they need to see you hug and kiss. They need to see that. They need to see affection. And, and you should just, re- our kids are grown now, you know, Trent's still at home. And, and sometimes when I'm leaving and he's standing there, I'll say, watch this, Trent. Trent. Like, dad, it's just fun to do because he's mean sometimes to us. <laughs> my spouse and I are satisfied with the level of physical affection we show one another. My spouse and I regularly discuss our sexual relationship with one another. I'm saying you need to take this apart from each other, come together, and see where you land on this. Emotional intimacy, this is huge. When something good happens, my spouse is the first to know. And when something bad happens, my spouse is the first to know. I feel comfortable sharing my hurts and disappointments with my spouse. Intellectual intimacy, my spouse and I talk about current events. I'll feel free to share my opinions with my spouse. Though we have different academic degrees, my spouse and I respect one another's intellectual capacity. And then finally, social intimacy, my spouse and I have shared social media accounts. Meaning, when you get married, just like your checking account and your savings, they need to become one. You don't need somebody wondering is there a husband or wife in your life? My spouse is free to view my cell phone or any other device anytime he or she wants. If you're having to hide any device you have, you're in trouble. My spouse and I have very good mutual friends meaning you need other godly couples in your life as husband wife. My spouse and I are connected with other Christians in a strong friendship. You need other godly people as godly people in your life. So what I want you to do is to, is to take this, and these are at all the exits, and if we run out, we'll get more for the next service. But you need to grab this, do this as a husband and wife, and see where are you? What's going on and where are you in your marriage? Know one another. I, I can't uh, finish this sermon without hitting on verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you. So Peter has written to a number of people in a number of relationships who are suffering. He's written to people who are suffering from government because of their uh, own uh, position and in, in, in their faith. And the government is coming down on them. He's written to uh, servants who are suffering from their masters because servants have come to Jesus and their masters have not, and they're dealing with that. And, now, and he's written to husbands and wives. And now he says, finally, all of you, all of you, And so you could take this and apply it to all of us, but you can also take it and apply it to your marriage. Verses 8 and 9, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Is there anybody else missing this in our world today? Is anybody else missing unity of mind? Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Wow, you apply that to marriage and you say, We will not go at one another, we will not seek revenge. But on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing do you know what would make your marriage stand out more than any other is if when you went through your tough time you said we'll bless one another not bless one another out if when you experience difficulty with a fellow employee. If rather than blessing him or her out, you chose to bless him or her, people are going to know there's something different about that person. I'm afraid that has gone largely missing, and I am convinced as we move forward and as the church who believes God's word becomes increasingly marginalized It becomes increasingly moved to take positions that cause others to think that we're bigots or we're insensitive or we're old-fashioned. That the way we'll do it is with a smile on our face, love in our hearts, embracing truth, and blessing people who bless us out. I'm convinced of that. So we're going to end by doing something that we've never done here in my almost 22 years at this place. And we're going to have a vow renewal for all of you who are married. An opportunity for you to right now renew your vows to your spouse. If for some reason your spouse isn't here, you can take this and do it later. But here's how I want to begin. If you're here and you've been married 50 years or longer, would you stand? Stay standing. If you're here and you've been married 40 years or longer, would you stand? If you're here and you're single, look around. The news may tell you all kinds of things, but I just want you to watch. If you're here and you've been married 30 years or longer, would you stand? If you're here and you've been married 20 years or longer, would you stand? 10 years or longer, would you stand? Five years, would you stand if you've been married five years or longer? All right, let's go one year or longer, would you stand? Yes. All of you may be seated. If you're here and you've been married one year or less, would you stand? One year or less. You can stay standing. You can stay standing. Those of you one year or less, yeah, stay standing. Uh, You can stand up back there, Kelly. Uh, Yes. Yeah, sit down. I'll call your name out. All right. Now everybody's looking at you. So, isn't this awesome? I love how marriages, people are still getting married. I love that. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody who's here with your spouse uh, or here and your spouse is serving, some of them are serving in other ministries, some couldn't be here today, uh, we're going to stand and renew vows. So stand beside your spouse. Take uh, their hand right now. And uh, look them in the eye. And yes. Yes. And some of you are going to find your spouses who are serving other spaces. I see what you're doing. And so uh, here's what we're going to do. The first thing is a blank. And it's how many years you've been married. You're going to say it loud. So one, two, three. Some of you just got in trouble because you didn't know. All right. All right, so listen to this, listen to this, and when we get done, you will just look at your wife, look at your husband, and say, I do. All right, let me read. How many years ago, I took you as, I'll just do this to Wendy, since she's, you should, oh, you, you don't want, oh, she's like, I'm not <laughs> coming on stage. <laughs> like, it just occurred to me, she could be up here, and she was like, no. Marriage cut short. All right, so, all right, so we're almost 22, right? Uh, so 22 years ago, I took you as my wife, knowing in my heart that you would be my faithful companion, my lifelong partner, and my one true love. As we stand before our loved ones and God, I pledge to stay by your side as your husband in sickness and in health. Enjoy. Sorrow, Through the good times and the bad, I vow once more to love you without reservation, to honor and respect you. I will continue to support you, protect you from harm, to comfort you in times of distress. If you mean that to your husband and wife, say, I do. And you're allowed to hug, kiss, or whatever. Absolutely. I look down front and I see Vicki Martin crying. But I see a man beside her whose health is quite different than the day you married. And I've watched you walk by him, Vicky, when, Freddie, you lost the ability to see and uh, as you once did. You inspire us. You encourage. You need to know that. Lord, marriage is a gift. It is not one that simply keeps on giving. It's one that takes as we give. I pray for two groups of people, singles in this church, who want what they just observed. May they wait and trust. I pray, Father, for singles in this church who've lost this. May they be comforted today. I pray for widows in this church and widowers whose hearts get to beat and then fail Because they couldn't participate. May they be comforted. I pray for unbelievers absent to be saved. And I so admire believers present. That they may win their husband or wife without a word. And I pray for husbands, wives here. That your grace would abound to them. And that wherever their marriage may be, it may get better. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.